All right, everybody, welcome to BO Boys for Wednesday, December 29th. Fuck it, it's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat. And people must be asking, why Wednesday? Why is there a Wednesday BO Boys? It must be that there's some kind of late-breaking news, an emergency episode. Don't worry, it's not that. This isn't an emergency. It's a pleasant surprise. We're doing our year in review episode and we've got a very special guest our good friend the maestro of exhibitor relations co himself jeff bach welcome to the show jeff boys it's as always an honor and a pleasure to sit down with you guys and talk about the world's greatest box office on the world's greatest podcast ah thank you Jeff. Jeff. so jeff the last time we saw each other we were on the west coast together uh, having sandwiches. Yes. And that was great. Yes, we were eating. But I do think this is the way that we're meant to talk, which is remotely over the phone and about box office. Yeah, it was definitely, it was awkward. It was strange mm-hmm. talking in person. Mm-hmm. Um, But we made it work through the help of Bay City's sandwiches, which are the best sandwiches in Los Angeles. Now the word is out there. Uh, don't expect to get your sandwich anytime soon now. Those lines are going to be long after, right. after we drop this on the B.O. Boys podcast. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, go there for the sandwiches. Don't go there looking to bombard Jeff, looking to get a picture with Jeff, looking to, you know, ask Jeff about uh what finished number eight at the box office this weekend. Just go for the sandwiches. Yeah. Don't don't leave let leave the man alone. Business and pleasure do not mix there. It's all about the the nom noms, the yum yums. Um I don't have time for box office there and and, and you know, Pat found that out when I, I just refused to s- discuss box office once we got there. No, no, no. But it was a pleasure to watch you eat. And Jeff, <laughs> I think it's going to be a pleasure right now to listen to you go through not the top 10 of the weekend, but the top 10 up to this date of 2021. So if you if you would if you would be so kind as to Tell us what were the top 10 domestic earners up to this point for the year 2021. That would be an amazing way to start this show. Uh, one of the great things about this top 10 list did, is that there are some films that made over $100 million that didn't even make the cut. So let me just start mm-hmm. by saying that's pretty amazing. That's an amazing accomplishment for where we at and where we were in 2020. So let's start in 2021, the top 10 films coming in at number 10. Ghostbusters Afterlife at 121 million. This will actually probably move up to number nine uh, because number nine is Free Guy, also with 121 million. Its theatrical run is over. Uh, Ghostbusters still has some life in it and will probably, those will probably switch places. Now, Free Guy at number nine right now, soon to be number 10. Uh, This is the only original property that's going to be in the top 10 for the next, I think, 50 years, I've calculated. So enjoy it, Free Guy. You know, we'll probably get Free Guy sequels, but we'll never see another original film in the top 10. uh, It looks like until probably 2075 is what I've calculated. Hmm. Uh, You guys can do your own calculations, but that's what we're looking at. Jumping up number eight, A Quiet Place Part 2, 160.2 million. Great work on that. Sequel, there's going to be a lot more of those from Paramount. Number seven, No Time to Die, 160.7 million, just edged A Quiet Place. Number six, Marvel's Eternals at 164 million. 
And now for the top five, the creme de la creme, F9, the Fast Saga, coming in with 173 million. Black Widow at number four, 183 million. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, 212 million. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings in second place at 224 million. And obviously the number one film that I think everybody knows and everybody's seen at least three or four times, Spider-Man No Way Home, clocking in with $516 million so far. Um, this is, that's, that is a, and I know you guys touched on this, but that number is so crazy that it, it really, you know, you talk about billions of galaxies in the universe. That's the same way that I feel about when we talk about Spider-Man No Way Home may already making over 500 million, twice as much as the nearest competitor. This crazy number, right? You guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we all. I think figured Spider-Man was going to be the biggest movie of the year, but it, it definitely is shocking how it is just a multiple of the next movie. I mean, I, I, I don't think any of us expected it would make more than two times what the number two movie of the year made domestically. The, 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 I, I didn't realize Spider-Man was that much more popular than everything else. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's one of those films that has those extra elements to it that make it as huge as it is. I, I think it's the fact that, and everybody's seen it by now. We all know what happens in this film. The ffact that you have three mm-hmm. Spider-Mens, that is, I think, something that brought this movie over the kind of regular amount that a Spider-Man film would make and made it into mm-hmm. an end game, made it into an infinity war. Uh, it made it into a, a civil war f- sort yeah. of film. That's exactly, Clayton. I think that's exactly right. That's exactly what it did. When Captain America called itself Captain America, civil war, we knew that was really an Avengers film. Right. And that's what Spider-Man was, it became this super Spider-Man film. You're adding in, historic uh, cameos by other Spider-Men in a way that we couldn't have before because when you cast Spider-Man, you, you're supposed to just forget all those other Spider-Men, but they brought in, because of we're all used to the multiverse, we're all used to the Spider-Verse now, you can bring in past characters uh, and, and, and remix these films, and the audiences love that shit. Let's just say it. They just love that shit. And Spider-Man No, no Way Home, home uh, they brought it home with that. This is exactly what the capper of 2021 needed going forward. That This is the super event that theaters and studios definitely wanted to see. So it's great that it actually happened. Even in my best estimates, I was thinking 400 million domestic. And it just breezed past there in like two weeks, you know? Yeah, it's 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 really... Marvel has really created this new kind of movie that... Other movies are just not going to be able to match, which is they're like series finale movies or movies that, you know, going in are the culmination of 10 years worth of movies, you know, and you just can't do that with even other franchises like Mission Impossible can't do what's you can't have five Ethan Hunts, you know, uh, facing off. 
in a, in a, in the next Mission Impossible movie, or you know, you, you, it's it's just so limiting for all these other franchises now to do what Marvel does, which is to be this these like super events. They they you know it makes other movies look smaller, which might be a problem for you know even as much as any movie that makes a billion dollars when theaters desperately need any amount of money, it's somehow like Spider Man. Did that, but also just feels like this existential threat to the rest of movies. <laughs> and not only that, but Sony is now an existential threat to the rest of the studios. I mean, they were on mm-hmm. death's bed before. Sp- Think of where the Amazing Spider-Man 2 ended and how that just went yep. down in flames. And everybody's like, wow, well, there goes Spider-Man. And they resurrected it. That partnership with Disney was brilliant. And it was brilliant for Mm. Sony, not necessarily for Disney, because they created another studio force. Now, I'm not saying that Disney would have been able to buy Sony, but I also know that they were probably looking at it after they did the same to Mm. Fox and got those Marvel characters back that they so desperately wanted. Guess what? Spider-Man is numero uno, and he has been in the comics for a long time. There's a reason why there's always like three or four Spider-Man titles going around simultaneously, you know, while Iron Man has one title, you know, and they made Iron Man when, when Paramount and Marvel got together and made Iron Man a hit, he was a B-list character and they made him a mm-hmm. huge, huge movie star. And Spider-Man has always been number one and it feels like this is finally the culmination of that. And, and you know, Spider-Man's going to reach these heights, I think, time and time again going forward and um and that's going to be a lot has it's going to prop up Sony the studio like it has never been before. I I'm going to I'm going to put at the end of 2030, you know, by the end of this decade, you know, Sony may just be up there with uh, Warner Brothers and Disney. Well, you look at he, Well, I was just going to Well, you look at this top 10 just real quick, sorry Pat. You've got three Sony pictures in this top 10. You've got two in the top three because you got yeah. Venom at number three, Ghostbusters Afterlife at number 10, soon to be nine. So yeah, this is a studio that is making waves. I mean, is, I mean, I, I feel like today we're going to talk about a lot of winners and losers for the year. And I think it's easy to start off by saying Sony is definitely one of the winners of the year. And would we go as far as to say is, is Sony now the the number two studio? You know, I mean, I, Disney is obviously number one, and, and, and I don't see that changing in our lifetime. Um, and Fox doesn't exist. It's part of Disney. So it really is Warner Brothers, Universal, or Sony. And, I mean, Sony might be positioned to be the number two just by default of every year it could put out two or three Spider-Man universe movies. Yeah, I think you're right, Pat. Pat, listen, um, that's exactly what's going to happen. We see Marvel pumping out four to five movies a year. DC and and Warner Brothers is going to do the same. Next year is going to be a huge for Warner Brothers. They may have the biggest year, their biggest year on record, um, because of how have how they positioned uh, their four big films. And let's not leave DC Super Pets out. Come on, the kids are going to be all mm-hmm. over that. So that's five DC properties coming in hot in 2022. So obviously they'll, they'll be bigger than Sony next year. But I still agree that, yes, Sony was definitely the number two studio this year right there with Disney. And that's something that 
we desperately need. Uh, we don't need more of these studios crumbling. We don't need what happened to Fox, you know, to happen to Sony or to Paramount or or even Lionsgate for that matter. Uh, the fact is, um, there aren't. A, there's a handful of major studios releasing films in theaters. So every time we lose one of those, it's going to cut into the overall box office. If you look at 20th Century Fox, and we know what happened to them. Yeah, I look at the future release schedule and the calendar, and guess what? There's barely any films on there right now. There's a handful of films. If this was the old Fox, there'd be 15 releases set for 2022. Guess what, you guys? There's three releases from 20th Century Fox on the calendar right now, and I think two of those are untitled films. So that's what we're looking at. And one of them is Death on the Nile. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so, so the, Jeff, do you think that 20th Century Studios goes the way of the dinosaur? I mean, that is definitely something we've talked about previously on this podcast. I think there that's that's not going to be a going concern after 2022. I I don't believe so either. I think they're going to get it figured out, and I think that's what this year is about. Let's get rid of the old 20th Century films. Um, obviously, there weren't a lot of hits in there. You know, Free Guy was basically their only hit um you look at everything else including like the last duel and even west side story and and these just did not connect with audiences at all right um the king's man which which i thought was a good film but again it's not really what the public wants it's not really in their wheelhouse right now uh, so i don't know what they're going to do with that property um i think it would be great as a series on hulu but i just don't know if the creatives involved want to go that route so um, yeah, I, I still think there's a place for 20th Century Fox, and I just hope Disney figures it out. I hope that they also release edgier R-rated Marvel films through 20th Century, like Fox used to do. I think Deadpool 3 needs to happen sooner than later before Ryan Reynolds decides to take the permanent hiatus. And honestly, I think that um, X-Men should delve into that R-rated area. It's it's a marketplace that is that is thriving, and if they don't do it, Sony will do it, and they will take that money and run with it. So Disney's got to be careful uh, because I think I think Sony has an opportunity here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess with 20th Century, the question is whether it will still exist as a place that could release a movie like The Last Duel or West Side Story, or will it just exist as the R-rated superhero arm of Disney? You know, like, because I think you're right. There's going to be another Deadpool movie. There's obviously going to be X-Men movies. And is that really going to be the only place for 20th Century? You know, and Searchlight being where Disney tries to get some Oscar nom-nom-noms every year. Yeah, and obviously Avatar movies. It might just exclusively release and, Avatar movies. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's right. So is... Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Death on the Nile, is this finally coming out in February? Is this is this happening, or do we think this gets delayed again and they try and Men in Black, you know, uh, brain erase everyone so that we don't even remember that? <laughs> no, they're existed? dumping it. They're putting it out. They're dumping it. It's it's going to come out. It's going to go. It, no one's going to go see it. It'll be a punchline for a week, and then that's it. They. Because I, I think they probably have some sort of contractual obligation to release it, I'm assuming. And I think yeah. they're just probably going to put it out there and and be rid of it. Yeah, agreed. Like mm -hmm. they've done with most of their box office flops this year, 
you know, put a little sparkly trailer out there, uh, drop it and, and be done with it. I, I really like that franchise. I love Kenneth Branagh as that character. I hope it actually does well. Maybe it will have a chance internationally to do well. And maybe that will bring him back and he can get a whole new cast because it would be fun. It would be, I think, I think it would be a big missed opportunity for Disney not to keep releasing adult films. I mean, they like Oscar nom noms, right? Um, and, and honestly, Disney just isn't built that way, but 20th Century Fox is built that way. And, and I would hope, even though they've had a couple miscues that, that they get back up and, um, you know, try to produce films for adults the way that Disney can with a lot of print and advertising behind it. Cause that's what it takes as we saw, uh, the, in 2021, how badly the last duel did. And then, you know, Ridley Scott sort of redeemed himself, at least at the box office with House of Gucci. I mean, yeah, 50 million isn't a lot, but in this day and age for an adult drama, I, you know, I'm going to count that as one of my surprises in 2021 on, on how well that did because it had so much advertising behind it. United Artists did a really good job of getting word out there. And and that's the only way, honestly, you, you realize how important print and advertising is. Radio spots, billboards, TV spots, something that The Last Duel really didn't have. It didn't have the full mm. marketing power of, of, of the Disney marketing machine. Uh, in the same way that United Artists really went all in with House of Gucci, and you see the results. Well, House of Gucci is, I'm looking at it, looks like right now it's currently 26 for the year, but is most likely going to break into the top 25 because it'll sneak past old in the next few weeks. So, I mean, House of Gucci, top 25 earner for the year. I agree that's a, it's a movie that we all wish was a bigger hit. But in this climate, if that sneaks to around 50, that's a pretty big success. But but it is sad that we're rooting for the the lesser of the two Ridley Scott films to have been a hit. Because Last Duel, I really enjoyed a lot and thought was a really great movie. And I just think it's not the type of thing... Like, we're talking layers of adult movies now, right? Something like Gucci is... is better than a superhero movie but if if uh, if this was like 2000 or the late 90s you could have had something like the last duel actually make a lot of money but i just mm-hmm. think it's mm-hmm. now like we're even settling for uh, quote unquote adult movies that aren't at the highest quality just to have something that's not superhero and i feel like that's sad to me yeah, I agree with you. It it is sad, and Last Duel is is vastly underrated, and and nobody saw it. It is such a good film. Um, it, it definitely made my top ten list of the year. They spend a hundred million to make that film, and going forward, I mean, it's in the same league, like you said, of Gladiator, of of Robin Hood. You know, these big, big adventures set in you know medieval times and in in Roman times. That's just not going to happen anymore. You know, and that. To me, Clayton, that's the sad thing is that no studio is going to risk $100 million, even with Ridley Scott as a director, even with the talent, you know, the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, with all of that talent in that film, it's still not going to get a green light anymore. Um, unless maybe which would, what would be cool is if all the top directors like Spielberg and uh, Scorsese, they actually had to go through a Project Greenlight type reality show to get their $100 million epic 
greenlit. Now, I, that is something that could cross over between TV and film, right? Mm-hmm. That, that would be great, but the fear would be the streaming component would do really well. The show would do really well, and then the movie would still tank in the movie theaters. That's probably exactly how it would go. But you got to do so, something. Spielberg's Spielberg and Scorsese are hurting here, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, next year it it has been it has been wild to see Steven Spielberg's spot in the industry completely flip-flop where he used to be you know, that uh, would have been film Twitter 30 years ago that, you know, the, the film literati would deride him as the devil. You know, his his Indiana Jones movies are what's killing uh, adult uh, adult uh, uh, prestige movies. And now everyone is just pining for Steven Spielberg movies and, and are just so upset that a Steven Spielberg movie can't make money at the box office anymore. It's been a, you know, you live long enough, I guess, to see yourself turn into the villain. <laughs> and that's sort of some version of what Spielberg is living through. Well, it's now. nostalgia for blockbuster. It's it's that same, it's we get to that point, right? Where, where lambasted things, things that are looked at as evil are now looked at as, wow, remember those days? Those were good. Right. Well, well, I guess I'll throw this out here as a as a question for looking forward. Like I would say right now, one of the losers of 2021 was the the oldsters at the box office. You know, they they just they came up short. Uh, they didn't really go back to the movies. They didn't the the kind of movies that an oldster would like. And when I say oldster, I would basically say anyone over 32. Um, Wait, 32? Those type of movies and their type of movies were the ones, like Last Duel, that didn't do well. So if they're a loser of 2021, what do we think the future of the oldsters at the movies is? Do we see them coming back? Do we see the oldsters, you know, reclaiming the theaters from the, the, the teenagers and 20-year-olds who only go to superhero movies? Or do we think the day of the oldsters is fully over? Uh, Clayton, you want to you want to jump on this? Well, there's a few things to this, and and one of them being that adults go to superhero movies now, and and that's a thing that we have to rationalize and think about is that when we talked about Ghostbusters Afterlife, now not a superhero movie, but an IP movie, you know, that movie, the the people who gave that the highest ratings were people in their 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Now, that is mind-boggling to me that a 50-year-old, in my mind, is going to see a movie like this. But then when I think about it, well, I'm in my 40s and I saw this film. Now, I saw this film for research purposes, obviously, because box office. <laughs> but 50 is not that far away from me, and I'm seeing these superhero movies. So the fact that adults are not going to see movies is like adults are now superhero fans. There are people yeah. who who collected comic books in the 90s who were part of that speculation boom. Those are adults now. So the fact that adults don't see movies, yes, predominantly young people drive the market. But adults, when they go to the movies, they're seeing Spider-Man No Way Home. They're seeing Black Widow. They're seeing uh, 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 Ghostbusters, right? The other thing is, we live in a capitalist society, and the thing that boggles my mind about this 
is that there's a lot of people who are anti, I'm not going to wade into those waters. But one of the benefits of a capitalist society is that you can, you can speak with your wallet. And the people, these adults who are saying there's no movies for me, do not go out and see movies. When The Last Duel comes out, they don't go. When adult movies come out, they don't go. So they're not going to make something that nobody is paying to see. So you have to go see movies, but it's not one of those things that is the center of people's lives. They don't open the paper. They don't say, I'm going to go to the movies. What's playing? Oh, this looks like something I'm interested in. I'm going to go. They go when there's something they want to see. But if they're not going, there's not going to be anything they want to see. And that is the catch-22 of it all. Hey, Pat, what did you say the, the oldies, did you say 32 years old? That constitutes an oldie? I, w- I would say the cutoff is 32. Okay. 32 and above is an oldie. And that's being Dang, nice. man. Dang, I was thinking 40. Yeah. But okay, okay. Going with that rationale, if an if an if an oldster is about in in their early thirties, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna just piggyback on what Clayton said there. You know, we look at IP and the vast IP that is Marvel, and that's been around for a long, long time, decades. And you're right. It, well, I think one of the points that Clayton brought up that is that really is part of this discussion is the fact that. Um, Yes, your grandfather knows who Batman is, who Spider-Man is. Mm-hmm. You know, they will go to these movies as a family or by themselves because they know these characters. They have VIP IP status, right? And when we look at that at the box office, what's been doing well because of that, yeah, people will open their wallets for these movies because they know what to expect or they don't know what to expect. Are you telling me another Spider-Man's going to jump into this movie? Hell yeah, I'm going. And the person who saw that, you know, in the early 2000s is going to go. And they might have not been to a Spider-Man since, you know, Tobey Maguire has been Spider-Man. And and that's what brings it all together. And Hollywood is starting to realize that, you know, this is this is what makes major blockbusters. Not just a blockbuster, not just $100 million. We're talking about $500 million. We're talking about a billion worldwide. And that cash in a capitalistic society is, is what the studios are after. They want to go for that gusto. If we look... You know, we talk about the oldies and what they're going to. Yeah, they're going to go to all these movies. And and when they really want to watch a drama or want to watch something that speaks to them personally, whatever's in, whatever really resonates with them, they're, they're going to watch streaming because there's so many good dramas. There's so many good comedies. Now you get eight to ten episodes every single year on Apple TV+, Plus, on Netflix, on Amazon. I mean, my parents have a queue of like ten shows that they watch. You know, they love that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, they're and they're super oldies. They're in their 70s, you know, um, but they, they still go to the movies. But again, it has to be an event. They wanted to see Spider-Man as much as, you know, um, my 20 year old cousin wanted to see Spider-Man. Um, but mm-hmm. you're right. Nobody's rushing out to see The Last Duel, The House of Gucci. They just don't have the pop culture cachet that they say that they might have had, like in the 90s. You know, that film, The Last Duel would have been a huge hit in the late 90s. Um and, and so that's just how far we've changed in the last 20 years. Um, and, you know, studios aren't making money for oldies. They don't really care if anybody goes to West Side Story. You know, if you're, if you're on Twitter and you see people are just so outraged, well, those are people that, you know, follow Spielberg anywhere. You know, those are people that d- live and die by Scorsese's word. You know, these are super cinephiles. 
But that is not the general public. That is not the driving force of the box office. We know what the driving force is of the box office because we just listed the top 10. Mm-hmm. So do we think that the studios, you know, looking at it from the theater's point of view, we had obviously a big comeback in 2021 compared to 2020 that, you know, the, we, sh- we saw that people will go to the movie theaters again. I think that question has been answered. Will they come back? People will come back. But I think the, the, uh, the, the big issue for theaters going forward is will studios be able to create enough product that gets people to come every week mm-hmm. because it, you know, it used to be, you'd have your tentpole movies, maybe one or two a month, mainly in the summer, but you would have other movies that could do business in between. You know, you could still have your gone girls and your mid-level movies that could get people into a theater in between the summer, in between the tent poles. But if, the only thing that's going to work in theatrical are the tent poles. Will the studios be able to put that much product out there or will the theatrical business have to change? You know, cause I think that's the big issue is can there be enough superhero movies to keep theaters alive? Yeah. It's, it might be feast or famine. And we've talked too previously about do, do theaters change their hours? Do theaters mm-hmm. become a weekend mm-hmm. business? Right, weekend, right. Uh, a weeknight right. weekend business. It, it's a possibility. Right. It may happen. Yeah. Right. You know, do they put a sign out on the window, basically saying "close due to lack of superhero"? <laughs> you know, we we need to take a week or two off because we currently don't have a superhero movie. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be back for Doctor Strange in the Mouth of Madness. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, gone fishing for caped heroes. Yeah. Seasonal theater goers. Uh, well, hey, listen, drive-ins have done that for years, right? Like they only open in the summer mm-hmm. in a lot of places um, and, and they survive. So that's when the big block does out. That's when families want to go to the movies. So that's been part of the theatrical Americana for a long time, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it is a possibility that that could sort of cross over to multiplexes uh, in the not-so-distant future. I I still think we're going to give it the old college try and try to do business as usual. But when we do look and we take a peek into 2022 and we look at what's coming out in January, for instance, my God, you guys, it's it's just just bored up the theaters now. Yeah, Morbius doesn't show up until the end of January. That's our, you know, that's the next superhero movie, right? Everything else on there, you know, unless you're a Scream fan, is just, it, it, it's just not going to resonate. And then again, we're going to go back to Book of Boba Fett. We're going to go back to Karate Kid and all of these great streaming mm-hmm. shows that are coming out, you know? And that's what's going to occupy people's eyeballs. Um, When we get into February, there's, there's a few more things, but not really, you know, there's Jackass, like you said, Death of the Nile, Uncharted, which, you know, I, obviously, people are going to call that Uncharted, and that's what's, you know, is is Tom Holland, is he a really big movie star or not? Or is he just another guy in the Spider-Man costume? We're going to find that out really quick, and um, and and I, I don't have high hopes for that, although I do have high hopes for video game movies uh, moving forward. But you're right, until the Batman opens on uh, March 4th, 
some theaters might want to consider shutting down or 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 cutting back their hours because they're not going to sell enough popcorn. Uh, yeah, Spider-Man can only last right. so long. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the big stretch is basically once the new year starts and all the kids are back in school, that stretch from January 1st until Morbius on January 28th is going to be rough for movie theater owners. You know, that is going to have to be, they are taking out some local loans from loan sharks in their neighborhood. They are trying to rent the place out for birthday parties as much as possible. You know, like you're, you're going to have to have for the month of January, these theater owners just trying to make any any kind of revenue stream they can because they are not going to be able to make it just by showing the new Scream movie. And Like that's not going to be enough. And, and I think this speaks to like if we're mentioning, if we're going into the winners and losers, I, I would mention uh, theaters themselves, the theatrical experience as losers in the sense that okay. we got this email from Wannabe O Boy Reed. Okay. And he was talking about he went to see Spider-Man and he said, great movie, horrible movie watching experience. All right. So just going to read a little bit of this because he goes to two to three movies a month. His local theater is unremarkable, average surface, average uh, service, high prices. He went to see Spider-Man pre-bought tickets. He was in the lobby and it was so full. There's 40 to 50 people were just waiting in the lobby he didn't want to wait inside because, you know, there was the, the COVID situation. So he rebooked tickets for a, for a different night, Monday night. This was the weekend. He goes on Monday night. Monday night, theater is still crowded. Only three employees working. The employees wouldn't honor his subscription membership, which he has with this theater. So he had to wait 10 minutes for a manager to approve the quote unquote free ticket. They're out of half the sodas, out of large and medium popcorns. You're out of popcorn, okay? The screening room was dark and the sound was low. There's a loud family behind him that had a two and a four-year-old at an 8 p.m. showing. The bathroom was disgusting. It looked like it hadn't been closed. I uh, cleaned in a week, okay? So these are the kind of things that don't drive people to go just to experience a place, right? Because if you don't have mm-hmm. the product and you don't have a place that people want to actually hang out at, you don't really have anything. So there are great theaters. I'm not saying all theaters are 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 uh, the way Reed described this theater. But there is a serious problem with the sound quality, the picture quality, just the general all-around cleanliness, the inviting quality to theaters and that is going to make it hard to make that a central part of people's lives who are so used to staying home now. And anywhere mm-hmm. that they go has to be very, very special to them. Because you have yeah. a, large swaths of society that don't even go to an office anymore. Mm-hmm. You need to make theaters an oasis. You need to make it a destination. And these theaters are not doing it. I think part of the problem is that, you know, as a theater manager, if you were a theater manager or theater owner of, of a mid-range or smaller chain, uh, are you really going to stock up on all that stuff, not knowing what the future holds? Like, you look at that January schedule, you're like, you know what? We don't have to order as many milk duds, I think, this year, you know, mm-hmm. or this month. Um, and, and same thing with popcorn or, or soda cups, because I don't think anybody expected Spider-Man No Way Home to do what it did, to be like an Avengers film. 
So a lot of these theaters probably are running out of supplies because over the last year, there was no reason to stock up on supplies, you know? Um, and that's something that the harsh, you know, I, I hate, we all love what's happening with No Way Home, but it is a diamond in the rough. You know, we're not going to see that mm-hmm. again until maybe the Batman. If the Batman is as good as we're hearing that it is, Matt Reeves' take on that might push the Batman into uh, a Spider-Man um, stratosphere. And let's hope that happens because after that, we're looking at April. All you got, I mean, if you love Fantastic Beasts, and I know you guys both do, um, um, you know, you, there, there's that to look don't, forward don't to. Don't put that evil on us. <laughs> and then there's Sonic the Hedgehog too, which will be fun. But again, not blockbusters, solid films, not blockbusters. And then we get into Doctor Strange, but that's May. So these theaters have Ugh. basically five months to, you know, and they've got the Batman. That's the only surefire huge blockbuster. And everything else is, you know, Morbius, Sonic 2, um, Fantastic Beasts. Those are just mid-range. You know, maybe Morbius breaks out because of all this Sony stuff. Maybe they add Spider-Man to that film really quickly. Um, but other than that, there's no huge breakouts. And that's, are, are you telling me you can last for four months on, on that product? I just don't see it. And so you're right. I think the losers are going to continue to be the theaters until we make our way into summer. It should be a great, huge summer. And in fact, the holiday season in 2020 is looking good too. So, you know, I try not to be all doom and gloom here, but guess what? Those first four months, it's going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you could just see, just like any business, they're going to cut corners when things are down, and then it just puts you in a bad spot for when the customers do come for the Batman for you know the next Jurassic Park movie but it's going to be tough for these movie theaters to justify doing any renovations in January or ordering extra popcorn or cleaning the bathrooms I mean they everyone should keep their bathroom clean whether they're a household or they're a, a theater owner but it costs money for these theater owners to have someone to go in there with a mop, to go in there with a rag, and to clean these toilets. And it's hard to justify paying someone to do that when the big movie for the week is is the Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild. You know, or or when it is that that Death on the Nile weekend. Those listen, those bathrooms are gonna get pretty gross because the money is not going to be there to pay employees to clean those toilets that weekend. Mm-hmm. Hey, can speaking of toilets, um, can I just get just your opinions really quick? Which opens higher death on the Nile or uncharted that weekend, you know, right before um, Valentine's day. Wow. That's such a, that's it. The thing about death on the Nile is that the last movie was a pretty big hit. You know, the Murder yeah. on the Orient Express movie, I think, did get to 90 domestic. Yeah, talk about oldsters. A... They loved that movie. So all of this Death on the Nile doom and gloom really comes from, A, you know, Disney is is dumping all of the Fox movies and has been on the shelf for a long time, and all the controversy about the cast, all the Army Hammer, and I forget who else, but I feel like there's two or three sort of doomed cast members in this movie. But... People did like the first one. It has more name value in some ways, but it, it's a name. It's a movie that appeals to oldsters. Oldsters aren't going, so I'm gonna go with. They're both probably gonna bomb, but Uncharted will do 
a little better because the whatever name value it has is for the youngsters who actually go to the movie theaters. Yeah, I So that's my pick. Death on the Nile is one of those films like you said it is oldsters the people who saw that first movie I feel like if you mention that Army Hammer was in it they'd say who and then if you tried mm-hmm. to explain mm-hmm. why he was quote unquote canceled they would have no clue what you're talking about mm-hmm. and so I don't mm-hmm. think that's going to keep the 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 core audience from that film but I do agree that core audience isn't going. So uh, again, I think I agree completely with Pat. Uncharted is going to be a failure. It's had, I guess, a really bad production, uh, just life. There's been trouble with that production. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to bomb. Obviously, Titanic, very troubled. Hugest movie ever. One of the hugest movies ever. ever. But I don't think Tom Holland is anything but Spider-Man. And... We've got Wahlberg, who is really struggling, and I don't see those strugglings, uh, those those struggles uh, getting better. So they're both going to do poorly, but I think Uncharted maybe squeaks it out. Yeah, I, I I like that assessment. I think Mark Wahlberg. Speaking of that, he should probably concentrate on Daddy's Home Three because I know in my yes. family, Daddy's Home Two is like now one of those Christmas classics that you have to watch, like yes. Christmas Vacation and Elf. It's just it is jumped up into that 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 hollowed place uh, of of Christmas time lore. So let's just hey, I'm happy if Mark Wahlberg just keeps making Daddy's Home movies for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. Jeff, it's not a it's not a bad spot. Thank you so much Hell for no. saying that, Jeff. Because Pat, you know this for a fact. I went mm-hmm. and saw that film, Daddy's Home Two, and what did I say to you to to my friend group after I saw that film? You did call it that this would become a Christmas classic. I said, new Christmas classic. I walked out of that film and I said, Mm -hmm. new Christmas classic. And now it is. I've been vindicated. That's all I wanted to say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Respect the nativity has become a a big yearly catchphrase. Respect the nativity. (laughs) movie. Um, So I want to go back to 2021 and throw this out there. And ask you guys whether you think this is a winner or a loser. And I'm talking about the Warner Brothers release strategy, their strategy to take their entire 2021 slate, all their movies, not not just small ones, but every movie. And they did day and date on HBO Max and in theaters. And we saw this sort of, I think, start off maybe really well with Godzilla vs. Kong, which probably did as much business in that strategy as it would have done if it had not had the HBO Max. But then we did see pretty much everything else on the Warner Brothers slate underperform theatrically. But, but so, well, I'm throwing it out there in retrospect, did this work? I'm going to jump on this because I've been a huge proponent of the HBO Max Warner Brothers deal. And I'll say it because of this. Warner Brothers had been struggling even before the pandemic to release adult dramas. Mm-hmm. They had been failing and failing and failing, you know, and even their DC movies had been doing, you know, mediocre business. Once in a while, a Wonder Woman or Aquaman would jump in there and do some big business, but they did just did not have it right. They did not have the correct formula to have these box office successes almost on every single level. So 
you know, Q 2021. Guess what? That is not a very strong slate of films. And when we look back at Tom and Jerry, uh, The Suicide Squad, The Conjuring 3, Space Jam 2, these are not great films, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, you had Dune and Godzilla vs. Kong that, that I think really touched audiences in a way that would make them go to the box office, make them go to theaters. Outside of that, these were HBO Max films. You know, they really were masquerading as theatrical films. And if you see what, you know what, you know what they did? They, they got people to say, oh yeah, HBO is HBO Max. I get it now. Whereas before they had, before the pandemic, there was a really hard time. Is HBO Max HBO or is it HBO now? What is HBO? And now when you say HBO in your mind, you're like, yeah, HBO, that's HBO Max, you know, and you get it. And, and you know what pe- mm-hmm. made people get it is dropping all of these huge films on HBO Max. So people realized, yeah, you know, what? I got to I got to have that HBO Max. You know, that's got to be part of my streaming catalog now. I've, I've got to I can afford it, you know. And and so obviously a lot of people were not happy with what Warner Brothers did. But as a company, Warner Media, I think they still made the right move. Yeah, they lost some box office dollars, obviously, because of it. But again, these were not massive hits, regardless. They would have not, most of these films would have already ultimately failed at the box office being exclusives. You know, films like The Little Things, King Richard, uh, Malignant, they were destined to fail at the box office. So the fact that you got, you you spent your Friday night watching those films, I still think is a big win for for Warner Media. Um, and if you look forward, uh, you know, let's look at 2022, how many adult dramas do they have on their schedule? You guys, they got two. You know, Elvis, which is, you know, kind of an event because of who he is, who he was. And then they have uh, uh, Olivia Wilde's film, Don't Worry Darling. Those are the only two real adult mm-hmm. dramas on the entire list in 2022. Even they, Warner Brothers, has said, you know what? This is the way we were always going to go. All of these smaller films are now going to release on HBO Max. And we're going to save our big event films for the box office. What, you know, so so they did exactly what they were say, said they were going to do. And I think it was the right slate of films to do it with. I, I think, yeah, it's, no, I, I think they're, so far, I, I just think their bigger issue is their budgets. And and that is something that, uh, you know, one of B.O. Boy Austin bangs the drum about all the time is that Warner Brothers budgets are out of control. And they can't continue to make movies that cost that much if they're going to not try to go exclusively theatrical or a shortened window. And I think that's the big thing with Warner Brothers more so than putting their their stuff on streaming is that their budgets are out of control. The other what thing do you about... Guys... Oh, sorry, Pat. You go. Oh, I was just going to say, what do you think a good oh. budget is for like an HBO Max movie versus let's say what what a Warner Brothers theatrical movie should be. Well, here's and here's the th- issue that I was thinking about as well is that I am not sold on the fact that movies are any sort of draw for subscribing to a streaming service. Because when you look at the big things that have uh, hit on streaming you look at something like Squid Games. Now, I've never seen a second of Squid Games, but that is a show that has like took up the cultural conversation so much more than any movie 
you had a movie on Netflix starring The Rock and Gail Godot and Deadpool. And yes, it did well, but nobody talked about it. And we don't, Red Notice, nobody has talked about Red Notice since the week that it dropped. It's hard to remember people, the title. Honestly. Oh, sorry? It's hard to remember the title. You're right. It, exactly. And that's the thing with these with these budgets is that you've got to keep, if you're going to make any sort of movie for HBO, it's got to be 50 million. It's got to be 60. That's even too much, I think. Because I think the scary thing is we talk about how adult movies don't play in the theaters. Nobody goes to see them. And, oh, well, at least we have the streamers. That might go away, too, because if you're looking at some of the budgets for for something like Last Duel and things like that, that's not going to be a movie that is made by a streamer because they're going to see that's not bringing anybody into our service and it's costing an arm and a leg. So I do think I do think, you know, we're getting into that situation where it is like Warner Brothers realizes that they're going to have to go for a a home run every time at the theater. And then anything they put on HBO Max is going to be like low, 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 low budget. Especially movie wise. Yeah. And with the right with the right lead actor, though, exploring a character in depth. I think it's not a bad move. Like, say, uh, Swan Song. Have you guys seen this on Apple TV Plus? With Marshall Ali. I haven't Ali. seen it. I know what it is. Okay. The Mahershala Ali movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like that film certainly would have been a huge box office bomb. You put that on Apple Plus, and I'm going to watch it opening weekend. You know, so I, I do mm-hmm. think, I think that these movies can and will drive the industry, especially the streaming industry. I mean, Netflix has, has, gone they've doubled down they've tripled down on making sure they have this a-list talent for their films it's hard to know if it's successful or not right but they keep doing it so there must be something to it right and don't look up you know honestly one of my favorite films of the year um and that debuted on streaming and from at least from my perspective a lot of people are talking about that film you know Mm -hmm. And, and and who knows you guys if this becomes one of the oscar front runners you know netflix might really finally have something um worthwhile in that department you know in terms of an original film they thought they were going to have it with scorsese's film it might may turn out to be adam mckay's film that gets him to that 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 hollowed ground but i I still think netflix is really driving that yes i agree their series is what really moves the needle in terms of pop culture but they're trying to change that and they're putting they're funneling a lot of money to make that happen I feel like Netflix does these type of films because Ted Sarandos likes these types of films. He likes certain filmmakers. He likes good filmmakers. He likes uh, filmmakers who have had success in in theatrical. The only reason they're doing it is because of that. It feels pet project to me because don't look up. Nobody's going to subscribe to Netflix six months from now for don't look up. But they will for Squid Game. And the same thing with with, uh, HBO Max. People will subscribe to HBO Max for Succession, not because of Matrix, not because of Dune. Yeah. I think, though, it's like ordering, if you go to McDonald's or whatever your favorite hamburger place is, it's like, I I agree with you. I think the hamburger, that's the main product of streaming, and that is a series. But you don't want to lose out on those fries. Those things are tasty, right? Mm. And I think... We have to think of movies as the fries. Like, oh, they're an indulgence once in a while, but you know what? I'm going to get it, you know? 
And I think that's what you need the complete meal there for the streamers. So I think sprinkling in these movies is still a really good idea, especially, like I said, with one or two stars and make it, you know, make it a personal project that they have that they've always wanted to do, make it something a little special. Uh, and you're going to leave fat satisfied. You're going to eat all those fries, you know? Right. It's it's a I guess it's just a mindset we all have to accept because it had been generations of movies were the Big Mac movies were the quarter pounder with cheese. Yeah. And now we have to accept TV shows are the Big Mac and movies are the fries. Movies are the fish fillet. You know, the apple pie. Yeah. Or the apple pie. And if that's. If that's what it's going to take for movies to keep existing in a major way, that now we have to accept movies are the apple pie, movies are the McFlurry, I guess so be it. Yeah, I just, um, I, I think that's that's where we're heading. And 2022 is going to get us, I, I mean, look at those top 10 films. Um, you know, <laughs> you guys, we already know the top 10 films of 2022, right? Like, you don't have to be a box mm-hmm. office genius, even even though we all qualify as box office geniuses. You don't have to be to look at the release calendar and go, yep, those are the top 10 films. I can already see it, you know? And mm-hmm. and that's a mm-hmm. lot different than it was 15 years ago, you know, when there were films that you never heard of uh, coming in and just taking over the marketplace, you know? And that, that's just, that doesn't happen anymore. And that's why Hollywood is so obsessed with IP because they realize that's that's where it's heading. All all you have to do to be a box office genius, really, you go through um, Box Office Mojo or the Numbers. dot com and, and check out the top films, the top ten films over the last twenty years, and it, they look about all the same nowadays. So I guess to get us on the on the track of maybe talking some winners, talking some positivity, I know that you look at this top ten, you look at this top twenty. And for the most part, it is movies that we could have predicted before the year even started. We all figured Spider-Man, Shang-Chi, you know, Black Widow, F9, those would be up there. What are some of, and there was not as many this year as there used to be, but what are some of the pleasant surprises of, of movies overperforming this year? You know, was there anything, I think there's one big one, but are there... What are some of the movies that did somewhat or significantly better than than any of us would have expected before the year started? I mean, I mean, we're looking at one that number nine, soon to be number ten, Free Guy, right? I mean, that's probably the slam doink of the uh, mm-hmm. surprises. This was a movie that I think Jeff, you were probably on the podcast before when we were talking, you know, looking forward to to the movies coming out and 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 I know me and Pat were very low on Free Guy thinking that this was a bomb this was going to do horrible business nobody wants to see Ryan Reynolds when he's not Deadpool and boy were we wrong cuz this movie came out did Baffa Bobo and held strong which was huge yeah I was definitely on that train I I had a feeling that one would be fun because I mean he was Deadpool he just didn't have the costume on you know and mm-hmm. and audiences mm-hmm. gravitated towards that. And it also leads, I think, to, you know, listen, I, I, I don't claim to be Nostradamus, you know, the box office Nostradamus. But if we are looking at, at, at one of the silver linings here and a big silver lining, this is a video game movie, right, guys? Like, that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. It is totally based mm-hmm. in the video game movie world. And it was a huge hit. 
Oh man, this is what Hollywood has wanted to hear for a long time. And with Sonic's success that Paramount had a couple years back, guess what, you guys? It may finally be the time when video game adaptions get their due and rise to become the next big thing. I think this decade, when we look back, and that's, this is what I'm saying, let's give it a few years, until 2030, when, when, we, when we do this podcast in 2030, and we look back, just let it be known that I said, I, I said Zelda is going to be one of the biggest franchises in theatrical. Super Mario Brothers will be one of the biggest franchises. You know, whatever they do with the, the next big video games, I think it's coming. You know, I, I'm not saying they're all going to be successes, but I think Hollywood's going to pour a lot of movie money into video games because that's where the youngsters are at. You know, that mm -hmm. is how to get them. They've been playing video games, you know, since they came out of the vaginas, right? That's just the yes, way it goes right. these days, you know? And, or the occasional and it, test it gives you... <laughs> And video game movies are going to give you the type of potential events that yes. superhero comic book movies give you because you could build towards finally having that moment where Super Mario and Donkey Kong team up or fight each other in a movie. You know, you could build you could build towards Mario and Link yes. being in a movie together. You know, that's your new Avenger. And Sega, Sonic could cross over to be with Nintendo, you know, and that's what everybody's always wanted to see anyways, you know? Yep. They make, right. I think, uh, Sonic and Mario have an Olympic game together, you know? But imagine mm -hmm. them having a movie together. So I think, you know, Universal's Super Mario Brothers, I believe, comes out next Christmas, their animated film. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is just the beginning. If Universal doesn't own all of Nintendo's product by now, then they're, they, they are going to miss the boat. I hope that they've secured that because that's what's going to put Universal up to where Warner Brothers and Disney and, and now Sony is in terms of, you're right, making franchises that exist as huge event films. Right. You know, they tried to do it a couple of years ago, Universal, with the monsters. You know, they thought that their universe would be uh, old Dracula and old Frankenstein and old Wolfman all getting together, fighting and hanging out. And that's obviously something that in retrospect makes no sense because young people do not care about the Wolfman. <laughs> they don't care about Frankenstein, but they do care about Sonic and World of Warcraft and, you know, all, all of uh, the, the, all of the video game franchise. They, Vice, Vice City, uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto. You know, the, the day that Grand Theft Auto becomes a real movie and you tease that Super Mario is going to uh, warp into Vice City, that is your next <coughs> end game right there. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, and I think Free Guy is lets us know that. So if we look at one mm -hmm. thing that was really great about 2021 is that we had a video game movie that came out of nowhere that had zero IP, but collectively was the essence of all video games ever, right? It was put into there. It was hardwired into this film's DNA, and it was a success. And that, mm -hmm. to me, says, yep, this is the next trend we really want to jump on in terms of new IP. Because if we look at the old IP, everything else in the top 10 is old IP. You know, and, and mm -hmm. at some point, we got to rebuild the city. You know, we got to keep supporting it with new IP so it grows into old IP. You know, that's how it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and you know, you had the 
uh, the Rock Kevin Hart Jumanji movies, which also were basically video yes. game movies. You know, sort of prime in the pump of everyone get ready. It's not just superheroes. It's also video games. Pat, do you have a movie that uh, overperformed in your mind? Yeah, I mean, there's a few. When I look at this list, something that I think did better than we could have expected, even though horror movies are usually a sure bet, I think Candyman back in, in August, I'm looking at that, 61 million domestic. That is a real, I would say that is a pretty strong overperformer, you know, because when you when you really think about it, Candyman didn't necessarily have the uh, the 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 sort of legacy IP stature of your Freddy's of your Jason's of your Halloween Michael Myers, not your Austin Powers Michael Myers I always have to differentiate. But Candyman wasn't thought to be at that level. And sixty one million dollars you know, coming out in August when uh, there was, you know, more COVID worries then and and all that going on. And I would say this is a pretty big success. Yeah. And it was pushed off kind of as an afterthought. This was a delayed movie Mm -hmm. that could have gotten musty. And yeah, Mm -hmm. 61. That's a, that is great for a film that probably had a very low budget. Mm-hmm. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's that that was the one I was looking at this chart too that really stuck out to me. Yeah, and I I, yeah. I, I mean I think they've revived a a uh horror uh character, possible horror hero and potentially created a new franchise. I think associating that with Jordan Peele went a long way. Mm-hmm. Um his name was a lot bigger than and I think Nia DaCosta, who's the actual director of the film, I think she even mentioned that a few times. This is not Jordan Peele's film, by the way. It is my film, you know? It, collectively, mm-hmm, really, mm-hmm. it's both of their films, though, right? Jordan Peele was a screenwriter. But it is Nia DaCosta's direction on this film, I thought, personally, that really set it apart. It, it made it into more of an art form than just a horror film. It combined, I think, great elements of, of art films and um horror films, you know, and, and that's just something, obviously, the first Candyman's, I think th- there might be three of them. I can't remember. The first two came out in theaters, and I, I think they tried to make some more of them straight to video back in the day. There but are obviously, three. Okay, there are three. So, But they just didn't, they, they were just straight up, you know, schlocky horror films, really. The first one had a little more to it, and I think that this really tapped into um, that, and obviously the feelings that people have about gentrification across America really tapped into something that was noteworthy. You know, I don't know if they can continue to do that. I would hope so. Uh, I, I think that's going to depend on a lot if they keep DaCosta around and Jordan Peele or if they just, you know, turn this into the next Halloween series instead. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. great performance and horror in general. That is another positive. Obviously, when we talk about going forward, horror is always going to be a part of the conversation because of how inexpensive they are to produce. And the returns are so big, um, even old you know, whether you liked it or not, uh, it had a pretty good run, uh, obviously did not cost a lot either. And that's, that's why it, whether you like M night's films or not, that's why he keeps making money. Uh, and he keeps making movies is because he keeps his budgets pretty low. And now that he's working with uh Bloomhouse, expect that to continue. Um, even a film mm. like, you know, don't breathe too. Yeah. It didn't reach the heights as, as the original, but still made enough money for them. I would think to continue that series, you know, it, it's just something that, you cannot kill a great horror franchise. You will never be able to kill it. Um, and, and that's good to see as far as theatrical goes. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the horror movies this year, and I would say the only ones that outright fully bombed were things like Escape Room 2 at $25 million. I think that is probably a franchise killer, I, w- I would bet. You know, and Forever Purge definitely underperformed, though that was also... Was that... I forget, was that day and date on Peacock, or did that just get a theatrical? That was exclusive theatrical, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, $44 million, I mean, I guess that sort of looks disappointing compared to how much all the other Purge movies overperformed. So, yeah, horror, you know, because, again, it appeals, like superhero movies, to younger moviegoers, that's going to be a staple going forward. You know, you, you might see less and less mid-range adult dramas, but horror movies are not going anywhere. No, absolutely not. Can we tap into what was kind of interesting to see in that no animated films made a hundred million this year, you know, and and including Encanto, which probably won't get there because now it's available on D plus. It was only in theaters exclusively for 30 days. And then they released it on Disney Mm -hmm. plus on, I believe Christmas Eve, um, which, which, Honestly, it probably would have made $100 million had they just left it in theaters exclusively. But beyond that, what do you guys think about, you know, Boss Baby 2 topping out at $57, uh, Adam's Family 2 topping out at $56 million. Is this a product of, well, we didn't have the vaccines for the kids, or is there something else going on here? Well, my my I- take on this is that these streaming sites, these streaming services— want to get the kids young. They want to have them weaning on a steady diet of their content. So if that means bypassing theatrical for animated things now, then I think that's okay with these companies. Disney wants to have your children's eyes on them at all times. And how you do that is you put animated things on Disney+. Plus. I mean, the same thing with Peacock. That's my philosophy is that they're turning away from theatrical. And they can use the excuse that, yeah, it wasn't safe, all this stuff. Families don't want to go. But families will go. I mean, we've seen that. Families will go. It's just the fact that if you give them an opportunity to have it just play at home... It's a lot less of a hassle to just plop your kid in front of a TV and just let them stare. And I think that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing. We're seeing these things as bait. This is the the cheese is is there for the rats and the trap is Disney Plus and the trap is Peacock and and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean I think I do think the not having a vaccine for the kids was some part of it. And I think going forward, that could be a big game changer. You know, there there are people who are just going to be that level of protective of their kids and just under no circumstances, we're going to take them back without a vaccine. So hopefully for the box office, that kitty vaccine is, is coming pretty soon. Um, I think you could also look at it this year as there were, there were no slam doink animated movies that that even in normal time, I mean, definitely something like Encanto in normal times would have made its hundred million. You know, just slapping a Disney animated feature label on a on a movie like that, it's going to make a hundred million. 
But we didn't have a Munions movie. We didn't have, you know, coming up this year, there's going to be a Puss, uh, Puss in Boots movie. So a Shrek universe sequel is coming out. You're going to have Munions. You're going to have... Lightyear. Uh, you're going to have Lightyear. You're going to have, like Jeff mentioned, the D- DC Super Pets movie. You know, you're going to have, I think, some more brand name, top shelf kids animated movies coming out this year. And that'll really be the test because, you know, if a Munions movie comes out and and bombs or a Puss in Boots Shrek movie comes out and bombs, then we got some issues. But I do think this past year, you know, there weren't any of those top, top shelf animated IPs that came out in bombs. You know, Boss Baby was a surprise hit, but I don't think Boss Baby was going to be the next Toy Story. You know, Boss Baby was probably always going to be a movie where the first one overperformed and then the second one had a, a decline. Well, because we do see the fickleness with children in those sequels, right? It's really rare that uh, the something like the Munions can hold on for as long as it as it has in the zeitgeist of children, because you had the Secret Life of Pets 2 tanking. You had Smurfs 2 tanking. You've had these once-hot IPs really dropping very low the second time. I mean, Peter Rabbit. That was, mm-hmm, I think, more mm-hmm. a victim of hopping around the schedule like it did. But again, Peter Rabbit movie did not do as well as the first one, which was a surprise hit a few years ago. Yeah, I think, Pat, what you mentioned that Minions is coming out, Minions 2. Um, I mean, the th- first one, I believe, made a billion dollars, which is crazy, mm-hmm. right? Like, we will right. get a very clear picture about how much family films can still make, animated films especially, in 2022. You're right. And Pixar has Turning Red coming out in March. So that might be the other big hit after the Batman that, that really carries us into May, into that sizzling summer season um that that we all can't wait for this summer um so so there Mm. is some there's some there are a lot of things to look forward to um i think moving into 2022 now if we look at the overall box office this year um 4.4 billion which is down 61 percent from 2019 obviously way up from last year when there really wasn't a box office at all so it wasn't the best of times and it wasn't the worst of times if we're going to encapsulate 2021, but it's something to build on. These are box office bridges that we hope will keep building. Um, and, and for theatrical overall, you know, it's never going to be a reboot of the system. It is going to be a rebuild of the box office, an overhaul mm-hmm. of the entire structure. And we're seeing that in terms of windows. Um, um, Jason Killar, the, the Warner Media CEO, has already said that the big hits that they have coming in 2022 have 45-day windows. Guess what that means, folks? The Batman opens on March 4th. In 45 days, it streams on HBO Max for free. That's still, that's going to change things. And that's a Mm -hmm. big, that's a big change. That's cutting the window in half. Um, So (laughs) talk about a momentous change. I mean, they went from HBO Max simultaneous to now 45-day windows. And folks, it's just going to keep changing because Clayton, you're right. This is all about capitalism and whatever makes them the most money, that's where they're going to go. 
They don't really care about you as a theater owner or who you, you know, or how long you can have it be just because it's playing well on your screen. They don't care. They care about the bottom line. And that's that's just about it, as any big business does. Yeah. And the benefit of those windows for the companies is that their promotional push can be one big push. Yes. As opposed to having to restart the engine after 90, you know, 90 days, all this stuff. They can be like in theaters this date, at home at this date. And that's just that, that's exactly what they're and Nobody's going to wait 45 days to see Batman. Nobody. Unless you weren't going to see Batman anyway. Yeah. But everybody will wait 45 days probably to see Fantastic Beasts. Yes. I mean, that's definitely a foreign play. I mean, that looks to me like that feels to me like it's going to be one of those films that does so poorly domestically, but you'll look internationally and it's going to be one of the biggest films. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Let's just hope with their uh, Harry Potter retrospective that they're dishing us out friend style on HBO Max. I think it's January 1st, this return to Hogwarts 20th anniversary. Let's hope that is just a warm-up to actually giving us a new Harry Potter film, whether it's The Cursed Child or something else. Um, because that is that it is such a big property that Warner Brothers will never give that up. And and they need to, honestly, they need to stop with the Fantastic Beasts. Because all the Fantastic Beasts was doing was trying to get the oldsters, right? When we talk about oldsters, mm-hmm. oldsters aren't driving the box office, Warner Brothers. You know this. So go ahead, tap into that legacy IP and bring us a new Harry Potter movie the way that they should have a long time ago. Yeah. I think, I think that is a slam doink of something that's going to happen in the next three to five years, because this fantastic beast franchise is possibly going to end with this next one. I, I, I don't think it's, it's inconceivable that this next one does so poorly domestically that they don't just wrap it up at three instead of going all the way to five or seven or whatever they originally have planned and get to calling all of the future movies Harry Potter and the, you know, it's, you got to get that Harry Potter name in there, whether the original cast is involved or not, you know, send JK Rowling a big enough check that they could just do whatever they want with this IP and, and, and you got to start pumping out these Harry Potter. I mean, if Warner Brothers was so IP obsessed that they had to make a new Matrix movie, yeah. then they obviously desperately want to make more Harry Potter movies, which is probably, I mean, maybe even bigger than DC. It's probably the biggest property they have. Oh, exactly. it would be massive. <clears throat> if you get that original cast together... Which I think is possible because they have been able to distance themselves enough with, mm-hmm. you know, having an ability to do other movies. And, you know, of course, they're richer than God, so they don't need to do a Harry Potter movie. But I do think they're probably at the age where, you know, some of them might have kids or, you know, I don't know if they do, but, you know, they're going to get to a point where they may have kids and they may be like, you know what, I want to do a movie that my kids can watch. I want them to see me as these characters. I do think that there's a possibility. I mean, in the next five years, that's happening, I would think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. When we talk about bridging the generations, that's exactly what Warner Brothers has been trying to do with all their DC properties. This is how you do it, and it's a more recent bridging 
over the last 20 years, you know, because, yeah, you're right. Kids are now having kids that grew up on Harry Potter. They will bring their kids. The adults love the Harry Potter. Nobody loves the Fantastic Beasts. So everybody will be all in for a new Harry Potter and the blankety blank blank blank. Um, that there mm-hmm. is no doubt that by the end of 2030, we will probably have three more Harry Potter films. So if you are a Harry Potter fan, start celebrating now. We've just announced it here on the Box Office Boys, at least a trilogy before 2030. Oh, 100%. Slam doink. So, you know, talking about Windows like we were and the whole HBO Max day and date situation, you know, looking at this top 10 for the year, there is only one movie on here, Black Widow at number four, unless I'm wrong, only one movie that was a day and date release. You know, nine out of the top 10 movies this year were still traditional theatrical only releases. Some of them got to streaming a lot quicker than they normally would have, but it still does show that it is going to be important going forward for the big movies to at least have that window, you know, to at least have that opening weekend, second week, that the only place you could see it is in the theater because those still ended up being the biggest hits of the year. You know, it was Black Widow at four and then it's all the way until Jungle Cruise at 11 where we get another day and date movie. And you could say Black Widow's at number two. You add in the 125 million it made on streaming mm-hmm. right away. That puts it up to almost, you know, that puts it up to 300 million, which would actually right. place it at number two. So, but you're right. Yeah. It is going to be important going forward to have that, especially for these blockbusters, these popcorn movies, these tent pulls. They can make so much money in the first 10 days of release. And then everything after that, you can talk about Windows. Um, but then you have something like Spider-Man that becomes something that, you know, it's a blockbuster times blockbuster. And and mm-hmm. when you see the double popcorn action that Spider-Man No Way Home has, as a studio, you get greedy and you're like, wow, we could own theaters for a month. You know, and that's what Spider-Man's mm-hmm. about to do. It's going to have all of January to just keep churning out cash. Um, and that's obviously, that's what you want if you're one of these IP legacy sequels uh, or superhero films. And the important thing, I think, going forward will be finding a place on the release date calendar that you can really maximize those four or five weekends. Because you really don't want to run into a the Batman or um, <clears throat> a Jurassic World. You know, Mm -hmm. you want that space. Um, But yeah, great point, Pat. You know, the box office is still there for these big films and it will always be there provided they 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 bring the popcorn with them, you know. Um, And I don't know what the right number is, if it's if it's two weeks or if it's three weekends before they go screaming or the before they go PVOD. Again, I think the industry is going to play with this a lot over the next few Mm -hmm. years. And it may be different for every studio. Well, I mean, one thing that we maybe should all be thankful for when you look at the big year Sony had and the fact that Spider-Man was theaters only and Venom was theaters only and Ghostbusters Afterlife was theaters only. That's probably very, very uh, only happening because Sony does not have its own streamer. (laughs) You know, so if we were living in a different timeline where where Sony's crackle really took off a few years ago, you know, if the David Faustino crackle show was a giant hit and everyone subscribed to crackle and, and right now crackle was one of Sony's biggest uh, 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 priorities, 
we may have had Spider-Man No Way Home debuting in theaters day and date uh, on Crackle. And we don't live in that timeline. The David Faustino show didn't take off the way that a lot of people hoped. But if it had and Crackle was a big streamer for Sony, Spider-Man and Ghostbusters and Venom may have all also been on the stream already. So it's a lot of what ifs. Yeah, that's a great point, Pat. Um, and you hope that Sony actually keeps this going um, and that they don't mm-hmm. get a stream. Because it's also nice to be the only girl at the party that everybody's looking at. Mm. You know, look, you, guess what? They have they can do a lot of deals with Amazon, with Netflix. So they they kind of have their choice of who they want to sell their other films to, right? Like, let's say they get cold feet about their film 65 with Adam Driver. Well, there's going to be a lot of suitors looking to buy that film. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it's good when you look at Sony's 2022 schedule. Um, they have some, you know, they got Brad Pitt's Bullet Train. Um, and they've got um, a lot of adult films, actually, coming out. But <clears throat> I guarantee that some of those are still going to be sold. You know, depending on how right. the box office goes for these adult films and for these smaller films. There's a, still a high probability, even if this whole COVID thing clears up, that Sony may not want to risk all of that P&A spend at the movies. And that's what it's mm-hmm. going to come down to in 2022 is what is the appropriate amount to spend to get the word out on these things? Or do we just make our money by selling it to Amazon uh, in one chunk? And that's, I think, going forward, still going to be bandied about whether it's right or wrong to do that. Uh, the one thing I can say when, you know, we look at 2021 is, you know, where have all the indies gone? We look at, you know, what films, you know, like what? French Dispatch made 15 million. Green Knight made 17 million. Last Night in Soho made 10 million. I guarantee that's the exact money that they spent on their advertising. Not 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 only their, you know, discounting their budget. We're not even talking about that yet. That's not enough. That's not going to cut it. So what do these indies do moving forward? I mean, um, Pat, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, wh- Nightmare Alley is at six million. You guys, Belfast at seven God. million. God, I mean, a Nightmare Alley is a big studio movie. Yeah. Well, I guess it's Searchlight, but it is it is on the higher end of an indie. You know, when you compare it to French Dispatch or or something like Zola, it almost feels like for some of these indie movies, you know, for your PTA movies, for your Wes Anderson movies. For your super indies like something like Zola, these A24 movies, putting it out in theaters is just a place where you can make a couple of bucks and it just makes the movie that much more attractive for where it's really going to be useful, which is PVOD or streaming. You know, because something like Zola possibly is a bigger deal on streaming because it had a theatrical release, you know, or... You're just not going to get Wes Anderson to make a movie that has zero theatrical release. But these movies are going to be tougher and tougher to be profitable in theaters. It's almost like the theater is a loss leader to make them more attractive for when they do end up on Netflix or Amazon or Showtime or wherever they get sold. Yeah. You, yeah. You hope you hope that <clears throat> you've done enough to uh, get somebody to back up the truck for you right 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 it's it's you know it's one of those those things that could improve next year 
you know, because it is usually an older crowd that's going to see the art house movies, going to see the Wes Anderson type movies. And maybe those those people do come back a little bit next year as we get further, hopefully away from the pandemic. And but but a big thing and we touched on it before is that's also the type of audience that is going to want the best type of theater experience. You know, the teenagers and the 20 year olds, they're, they're the they're the ones who are least going to care if the seats are torn up or if the toilets aren't clean, because for them, they they don't clean their own toilets. You know, they're living in college dorms, so they're. Their habitats are as disgusting as anything you can imagine. But for the Wes Anderson oldster, they're the ones who already have a meticulously clean bathroom at home, who splurged and got a big screen TV at home. So that audience, if you want them to come back for these indie movies, for these Wes Anderson movies, these art out movies, those are going to have to be the theaters that really step it up and and create a great experience you know you could get away with an amc that's showing 10 showings of spider-man maybe having gross bathrooms and and running out of juji fruits <laughs> but these art house theaters really are going to have to become premium experiences and promotions i think promotions getting giving something for mm-hmm. allowing those you know to get that crowd of oldsters to come back like for downton Abbey, A New Era, which is Downton Abbey 2, right? That comes out in March. Mm-hmm. How about adult diapers? So you don't have to use those disgusting bathrooms, yep. you know? Just, hey, here's your ticket. You yep. know, throw on your diaper. Bam, it's got it's got the queen on there. How cool is that? You know, I mean, that's the thing about getting the oldsters in, you know. It, that's a great idea. It, it's, it is, it's partly subject like obviously downton abbey is probably going to be the biggest oldster film of the year but is march 18th too soon you know what i mean like with all the covid stuff going on mm-hmm. should they push that maybe into the summer because old the oldsters like to go to those summer matinees you know those are nice breezy mm-hmm. get some right. of that ac in there pumping um it's just it, i think there's still going to be a lot of movement too as we get into as we get out of whatever omicron is and we get into omega or whatever's whatever's next whatever cool name they come up with. Um, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how that how that affects the January, February, March releases. Um, and, and if it does, then we are talking about a, a totally kind of redoing the summer schedule as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do wonder if we're going to have as much schedule movement next year as we did this year. And something I want to throw out to both of you for next year is talking about oldsters, talking about stars to the oldsters. Next year is going to be a giant year for Tom Cruise because as of now, he's got two huge movies opening. He's got Top Gun Maverick in the spring, and then he's finally got Mission Impossible 7 in the fall. And both of those movies have been long delayed, supposed to come out this year, pushed them back again mainly because they were scared that oldsters weren't going back to theaters because of COVID. So do we think that strategy is going to work? Are those going to be the rare, you know, they're both IP, but they're not superhero movies. Do we think those are going to be the movies that break through and hit big? Or is next year going to be the year where it really goes south for Tom Cruise? I I have... Very high hopes for Maverick. 
And mm-hmm. I feel like that was a film that was delayed because the studio knew they had a smash on their hands. Mm-hmm. And they they knew that people were going to wait as long as they needed to to see that film. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting to me that uh, so I read I read a book recently that I don't know if it's been published yet, but it's a, a, a about it's a guy who does the screenings for uh, you know to get feedback, and he's one of the guys the go to guys for all the studios. They they set up the screenings to get the audience feedback and all that stuff. And in the introduction to this book, he talks about some of the best screening experiences he's had with audience just going apeshit. And one of the ones he mentions, because this movie should have already been out by the time this book got published, was Maverick. So this is a guy who has done these kind of screenings for decades. And he's saying Maverick is one of the 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 ones that had the biggest audience reaction to me that spells good things for this movie so yes. i do think mm-hmm. i do think that maverick's going to be huge and i think mission impossible i mean those movies are always solid hits i don't see any reason why people would turn their back on on cruise when it comes to him playing ethan hunt at this point either yeah when i think of tom cruise's headstone and i think about you know, when it, which which could happen if he decides to go to space to film the next Mission Impossible Eight. I hope it doesn't. I'm just saying, in the in the in the long term future, when I think about his grave, and I think about what picture I would want on there, I put the Top Gun poster on there with his face mm-hmm. looking up. You know, that when I think of Tom Cruise, Ray-Bans. when I close my eyes at night, that's who I see. I don't see Ethan Hunt, even though it's super successful series and it's great. And you're right, it will make a lot of money. But I I think everybody and their mother is going to turn out for Top Gun Maverick. You're right, Clayton. Paramount held onto this for a reason, and they pushed it to summer because it's the perfect summer movie. I hope there's volleyball scenes in there, and they're digging and spiking and doing all that great volleyball action. Um, I think this is going to be a big hit. I really do. I know that it's kind of cheesy nostalgia, but it's just the right one, I think, that will get the oldsters and the youngsters to go uh, because this is this is the icon. He is Maverick, as far as I'm concerned. That is Tom Cruise's. That's the role that he's lived with. That's the role he'll die with. Yeah, and I think you're going to see, th- this is a, one of those films where you're going to see an uptick in greased volley- volleyball games. You're going to see <laughs> yeah. men of all stripes out there on the volleyball court with their buddies, all greased up, smirking, doing their thing. That is that is the that is the uh, mark of a huge cultural force when it not only is a huge movie, but it it it, it changes something in culture, makes something popular again or for the first time. Pat, I mean, if you come back out here in May, I could get you in a game if you want. And we could grease up and go down. I, I know of a couple games that are that go on every weekend if you're into that. I mean, this this. I I think I'm in. You have to. I, do I it. feel like probably yeah. The spring is probably the next time I'll be out in L.A. And it's true. I can't imagine coming at a Maverick and not wanting to be greased up and and playing volleyball with my buddies. <laughs> then it's on. So man. I I it's on. Yeah, I think I'll time this so that I come out after I've seen Maverick, 
and it'll be super hot out in LA and I'll, I'll fly right out there, land Uber right to the, right to the beach, meet you there. And maybe, maybe we could, you know, even do the podcast from the beach after like post volleyball game. That would be cool. Yes. Yes. It'll be one of the most greased up episodes that we've done yet. <laughs> well, I'm, Not the most probably, but, but it'll be up there. I may have to, uh, make a journey out there too then if if we're doing the yes. podcast if we're greasing up yes mm-hmm. i mean it, it, clayton i mean it's time man it's time to get greased up it's time to come out to la now now speaking of pet you brought up such a great point with with tom cruise because he's one of our last remaining stars and when you look at this top 10 of mm-hmm. this year and obviously it hasn't been a star driven business in a very long time but do we have any stars or burgeoning stars that were winners this year? Did Is there any actors who you would say mm-hmm. were winners? Yeah, I mean, I think we've got to kind of toss out people who played superheroes. You know, like there was definitely people who we like Tom Holland and... Uh, uh, is the the actor who plays Shang Chi? Is it Simu Simu Lu? I, I and I think he's great. His SNL was awesome. He was great as Shang Chi. But I think you kind of have to toss out people who play superheroes. So I think two people I would highlight are and 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 we'll discount also Kong because Kong has been a movie star for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna highlight. I mean, Emily Blunt had a crazy big year in that she had the number eight movie, Quiet Place 2, and the number 11 movie, Jungle Cruise, which I would say Jungle Cruise had a a great year because it made 117 domestic plus whatever it made on Disney plus PVOD. So that's a big hit. So, I mean, my two are Emily Blunt and I'm going Emma Stone. You know, that Cruella, Mm -hmm. 86 million was one of the first movies to really get people back to the box office. It also was Disney plus PVOD day and date, and it made a bunch of money there. So I think Cruella is a great star turn for Emma Stone, you know, cause that's a movie that could easily bomb. Cruella is not a surefire can't miss IP. It is the fact that it was her as Cruella Mm-hmm. got it to that number. So I think in terms of movie stars, those are my two big ones. They, I think Emma Stone and Emily Blunt had a great year. I would throw in, if we're going to talk about the ladies, I would also throw in Lady Gaga. I think mm-hmm. what she contributed to House of Gucci, she's front and center on the poster for a reason. People on social media were talking about that film for one reason, and it was Lady Gaga. Not Not all the yep. guys that were in there. It was her. Whether you liked her accent or not, it doesn't really matter, and it shows how much charisma and star power this 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 woman does have as an actress if she wants to keep pursuing that. And I think um, the same thing, the, how you're talking about Emma Stone in Cruella, yes, I mean, that movie was hung on her and her performance in the same way I, I think House of Gucci was hung on Lady Gaga, you know, and, and you have to go, <laughs> you think, well, where are the new guys? There's not much that stood out for me, you know, honestly, in terms of um, of new performances. But, you know, I, I still think that Dev Patel in The Green Knight shows how mm-hmm. he just commands the screen when he's on there. And I know 
outside of Slumdog Millionaire, you know, he really hasn't had huge leading performances, but that, that showed me the path. If he chooses to do these big films, I think he could be a major star. I, I think you look at something like Green Knight and basically Dev Patel set himself up to get the lead in a superhero movie. Yeah, exactly. I, I do think we have to throw Vin, Vin Diesel in this. The mm-hmm. number five film at the box office domestically did really well uh, overseas. I I think he's been vindicated. I mean, the, it, it beat out Hobson Shaw bigger opening. I mean, I do think that we got to give Vin a little bit of respect here. F9 mm. is, you know, not the biggest of the uh films, but still a force at the box office. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'd say, you know, the star heading southward, Henry Golding's turn in Snake Eyes was just it was so unfortunate because mm-hmm. I do like Henry Golding. It's just such a horrible role at such a horrible film that uh, that's going to follow him for a while. Um, hopefully he, he moves far away from the Hasbro universe. Yes. Yeah, there's there's no... It's, it's hard to have anyone who, other than that, who's like stars really dimmed because of the box office this year because basically everything ends up getting some kind of asterisk or some kind of, uh, you know, out for why it underperformed. Um but yeah, looking through this, there's there's not a star who I would say because of the performance, they're really screwed going forward. No, because you look at Bradley Cooper, Nightmare Alley, it, no one will remember that. He's still a huge star. He's a, he's one of the mm-hmm. rare actor directors that we have going. I don't think Nightmare Alley dings him at all. No. You know who, I'll throw this person out there, and obviously this person is an all-time star, movie star to, to, you know, 100 years after he passes away, he's still going to be a movie star. But someone who has had a hard time, I think, navigating the pandemic box office and movie release system has been Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm. look at Tom Hanks's the last couple of years since the pandemic, he's had News of the World, he's had... Uh, the submarine movie that went straight to Apple. He's had. I feel like I'm missing something else. Finch, but like Tom Finch Hanks, came out on Apple, and Finch. That was the other one. So Tom Hanks, you know, not even counting box office, but he's had a rough go in that none of his movies have really even done well on streaming or or captured the zeitgeist. You know, he's had three movies come out in the last year and a half and I would say none of them really worked on whatever platform they were on so I think the Elvis movie where he plays uh, Colonel Parker is going to be a big comeback for him I think that's a possible Oscar nom 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 that could be a big hit at the theaters but Tom Hanks is is he's just having a I'd say a rough time since uh, since uh, the Mr. Rogers movie it's been a bit of a dry spell well, has he also missed the book? Can he still be a Marvel character? Or is there a place for him in the Star Wars universe? Because that, that could kickstart his career again, you know? Right, right. He, I mean, he's he is, you know, we're not the Streamo boys. He is in the new Yellowstone Paramount Plus uh, spinoff, 
1883. Tom Hanks does appear in that. So he's not, he's definitely down to do cameos in other franchises. You know, he hasn't chosen Marvel yet. He's gone with the Yellowstone verse, but I, I, I could see that. I could see Tom Hanks, but I feel like the, him being in a Marvel movie, you know, that's where Michael Douglas goes now. And nothing against Michael Douglas, but Tom Hanks should be still several uh, layers above Michael Douglas. Robert Redford was and, in a, a Marvel movie. Well, but I know, uh, but it, yeah. but Tom Hanks should still be currently above Robert Redford. Yeah, you know, like I, Tom Hanks doing Marvel feels like it's an admission of defeat, <laughs> but it may it may it may be where he does have to go. Tom he, Hanks. Here, oh no, go ahead, Clayton. Go ahead. Well, just because here is what I think is going to happen. I do think he goes to Marvel, and here's what part I believe he will play. Now they've already set up the multiverse. So we all know that you can have several different versions of characters. Mm -hmm. He will play an older version of Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. Oh, I like that cast. I already see the gray hair. Oh, yeah, that's good, Clayton. That's good. I think that happens. Okay. And I don't think he has to be committed to any more than one movie. No. Because you're going to have a young person playing Reed Richards. Yeah. But and in one of Reed, yeah, in one of the multiverses, he comes back like right at the climax and saves the day. But he's going to have to die to do it. Oh, that'd be a great yes. send off for for Tom. Absolutely, and I think that happens. Um, yeah, he is. I can in, see that. That is that's a bold prediction. I like it's it. bold, but it's it's right on target. If if anybody from Disney or Marvel is listening, I think I think the casting decision has been made. Make it happen. Um, he is Tom Hanks is in the next. Wes Anderson film coming up. So, um, which, which is something I don't think he's ever been in one, right? I don't believe so. No. So that I'm really looking forward to that. If that does drop next year, or if that's in 2023, I'm, I'm okay with that choice. If that's where he's headed to doing like Baz Luhrmann and he, he goes to Wes Anderson and he starts just working on the masters films, you know, that's okay. I am Mm -hmm. totally fine with that. If Mm -hmm. that's how he wants to slide off into, into the sunset. Stay away mm-hmm. from Dave yeah. Eggers is all I'm saying to Tom. Yeah. Stay away from Dave Eggers. Enough. And David Yates. Mm-hmm. And David Yates as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want Tom so, ending up in the Harry Potter franchise. So I guess we, we've covered a lot, but is there, let, let's, let's, let's finish it this way. Let's look back. Is there first anything that, we haven't highlighted for 2021 that either of you want to touch on any surprises, surprise bombs, surprise hits, any uh, kernels of information that you think are going to be important for the future that we saw in 2021. Is there anything looking back that we haven't covered yet? I mean, I do think we have to mention a little bit about Tom and Jerry, how we, Mm -hmm. we did not think that Tom and Jerry would do well. Now, it eventually ended up at forty-six million, which is way higher than we expected. Um, we did not know that the youngs, the youngsters, were the Tom and Jerry generation, but we were proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, think- not proven wrong, not as right as we could have been, right, Pat? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. we're never proven wrong; we're just proven to have have not been fully correct at the moment. Yeah. Well, and that's because of a variety of, of reasons, obviously. 
that that you cannot that cannot be controlled. The same thing yeah. with mm-hmm. I I think we have to talk. We can't not talk about what happened to the Suicide Squad. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was especially after That's seeing it. what Spider-Man No Way Home was able to do at the box office. I know August seems like a long time ago, but it really wasn't. And the fact that that film only made fifty-five million domestic, one hundred and sixty-seven worldwide when the last one made 745 million worldwide are you kidding me that number to me sticks out like like the space needle in seattle like you cannot just not be amazed at how badly that film did i i don't care if it was on hbo max it should have made more than 167 million worldwide if it was embraced by audiences and obviously we 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 beat this dead horse to death about the reasons why but um, it's one of those things that, that is going to haunt DC and Warner Brothers for a long time. I don't know how well this spinoff thing is going to do with, with uh, what is it, John Cena is yeah, doing Cena. the yeah, spinoff? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Peacemaker. Yeah, Peacemaker, yeah. yeah. That's it. And I, I, but to me, it just doesn't have, doesn't have anything really going for it. I'm actually surprised they continued going on with that. It, it just it wasn't there the... At least the first one had, I thought at least had chemistry between the leads. The second one really didn't because, you know, you die, you're, you're getting killed off so quickly. You don't really have time to form any chemistry. Um, it, it was just one of those things that it didn't work. Um, and, and obviously it comes out in a weird place because that's a lot of characters in the DC canon right there that basically may not have another chance to be resurrected on the big screen. Um, so that's kind of a sad day. For, for Warner Brothers in DC with that with that gross of that film and I guess the other thing that I would still like to mention because I know all three of us were touched by Dear Evan Hansen and the fact that yeah mm-hmm. musicals may be dead but they live on in all of our hearts oh I yeah agree the, with that. the the musical I mean just Suicide Squad and the new Peacemaker show that's one of those situations where this show you get why they greenlit it when they did, because they probably figured, oh, Suicide Squad's going to be a big hit. I bet you even in 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 dailies early on, they were seeing John Cena as Peacemaker was really popping. So you figure, oh, he's going to be this beloved character. And now this is a show that's debuting, coming off of what everyone remembers as a big stinker. So it's it's it feels like a wet fart of a of a show before it even gets to air because Suicide Squad just did so poorly and it just has that stench on it. Um, As far as the musical thing, I mean, we had In the Heights underperform this year. Dear Evan Hansen, I would say overall underperformed, even though it's not as big of of an IP as some other musicals. And then West Side Story does look like it's going to end up being a big underperformer, even if it does have some pretty good holds this week. So do we think that this says anything in general about theatrical musicals going forward? Or was it just a year where the musicals are aimed at oldsters and the oldsters weren't coming back yet? Yeah, I mean, I think the musical theatrically is dead until it's not dead. It's like anything, exactly. right? You're going to yeah. have something that comes out of nowhere 
and blows people away and maybe has a big star in it. I know we're saying it's not star driven, but when you look at, you know, of course, The Greatest Showman, you you look at, um, sorry, I'm blanking on his name right now, but, uh, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman, Lin- I'm sorry. Lin-Manuel Miranda. No, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, yes. you know, huge, huge star. You put him in something, he'll put the butts in the seat. So I, I'm not... I'm not worried about these being failures. I think, if anything, they're doing a service in the sense that there's a lot of people, you know, your earth dogs, your uh, plane billies, who are not able to see uh, uh, musicals, actual physical, you know, in, in person musicals. And these are working as kind of documents of these shows in a way that they can have at home. And I think there is a benefit to that even if they're not huge hits. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think West Side Story, unfortunately, because it did open so low, um, there's no rebounding from, you know, we talk about percentage drops, and it's great to talk about when they're relevant, but it's hard to talk about a percentage drop when you opened it under 10 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're having right. a good weekend, weekend to weekend, but percentage-wise, but not the bottom line-wise. And that's why... When you talk about a 68% drop for Spider-Man this past weekend, that means absolutely nothing. It's not even part of the conversation because it doesn't mean anything. It still grossed $84 million in its second weekend, you know? So that's the only number that matters. That's why these holds that West Side Story's having, they don't really matter. Unless it, unless it turned out to be something like Titanic, where it held all through January and all through February. Then we could talk about it. But, but of, of course, West Side Story was going to have decent holds over the holidays um, because it still is a film that, that multiple generations of family can go to. I'm not saying they liked it, but they can still go to it. And there aren't a lot of those films out there right now. Um, When we talk about Dear Evan Hansen and, and our love for it um, again, that harkens back to our love of eighties and nineties films and, and what this really meant to be a lonely high school kid. Um, Again, mm-hmm. uh, it's a niche audience, you know, and it was never going to be Grease or La La Land. Um, Clayton, you're right. It is about having a big star in a musical, having them sing and dance where you normally don't get to see them. Like if Tom, well, Tom Cruise was in a musical, right? He was in, what was that one called that he was in? Rock of Ages. Rock yes, of Ages. Yes. And okay, it wasn't a huge hit, but it, it performed admirably. I can't even say that word, but it performed well um, for what it was. Um, in the Heights, again, niche, very niche um, market. You're right, Clayton. Uh, they'll be back. It's just going to happen. It's just like the Western. Every once in a while, a big Western is going to show up and make Bafo box office. And the musical will do the same. We just don't know which one it is. It's probably going to be Wicked, though, when that finally happens. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, that's the thing is the musical's dead until Wicked comes out or until they finally make the Hamilton movie or until you know the little live action little mermaid comes out and then suddenly the musical's back yeah is the live action little mermaid a musical yeah well i, I mean know. little mermaid is a, yeah I, in the sense that if it's like the way they did beauty and the beast you're gonna have people singing the song okay so. um you know, I think once those big IP musicals come out or Greatest Showman 2, which I assume will happen someday. Yeah. So let's wrap it up by looking ahead. You know, we've already talked about some of the big movies coming out next year and some of the things that we think overall 
might be happening next year. But let's talk some predictions. What do we think are either big picture predictions, you know, sort of uh, uh, just, you know, changes the way Warner Brothers decided to put all their movies uh, day and date on HBO Max this year? Do we see anything like that happening next year that hasn't been announced yet? Or does anyone have any predictions for a free guy-esque under the radar movie that we think is going to overperform next year? You know, so obviously no superhero movies, nothing that we know is predestined to be ahead. But do we see any under the radar overperformers or do we have any big picture predictions for 2022 um as far as i mean like we talked about it's sequels and superheroes that's it's going to be a steady steady diet probably the most steady diet that hollywood has had for the last decade um they are leaning heavily on ip this was always going to be what was going to happen even before the pandemic but they're just lucky honestly that 2022 lands where it does because it just happened to be a killer amount of sequels that obviously, you know, the Black Panther 2, Thor 4, um, you know, uh, Lightyear, Doctor Strange, the Batman, Aquaman 2, Jurassic World, the Big D, as I like to call it, Dominion. Um, those are just going to just keep those popcorn poppers working overtime. Um, and then Avatar 2, if it actually does get released uh, like it's supposed to next December. Um this is mm-hmm. this is a great year for blockbuster cinema. Now, can we find something in there that it that does not fit those descriptions? It's tough. I I mean, and I was looking at this, uh, and I was like, God, I don't know. Um, you know, Bullet Train jumped out. Brad Pitt, Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. You know, great cast. And Sony is now dropping that in the middle of summer, which I actually I think is a great idea because people are going to be going to all these great you know sequels and these big movies. And and then something fresh is going to drop in their lap, and that might help them out. Also, I, I think Jordan Peele's Nope, which also drop, which is his third horror film, right? That drops in mm-hmm. uh, July as well, uh, the week after Bullet Train. So you're going to get a one-two punch of great original content. Um, those would be the two that I would highlight as as having the most impact. But it, they're certainly not going to make 800 million like the top ten. The the the, the bar is set so high. For the top 10, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to see, you know, it it would be great if one of those films could do internationally, you know, three, four hundred million. That would be great. That's what I think as a big success for these non IP films right now. If you could somehow make four hundred million worldwide. Wow. I mean, that is that's a thunderclap. Um, Outside of that, you know, these big blockbusters, they're looking at eight hundred million worldwide for starters just to make it in the top 10 next year. So, uh yeah, it's going to be top-heavy again, but it's going to be top-heavy in a very good way uh, for people who own cinema chains. Yeah, I, I I, think one of the things, too, in order to make some sort of dent in the box office and really surprise, I think you have to motivate a group that might not necessarily go to the theater all the time to go see a movie. And I think a film that could possibly do it is on March 25th, The Lost City, which mm. you already got Sandra Bullock starring in it, which is a factor. People love Sandy, that she's one of our last remaining stars. You've got Channing Tatum, who's making a comeback. He's going to have Dog earlier in the year. 
He's a guy that's that's moving his way back into the zeitgeist. People, I think, miss him and are looking forward to seeing him on screen again. Brad Pitt is in the film. We don't know how long for, but at this point, people like to see Brad Pitt. The main thing is that this is a film that is about romance and, and the romance genre, which is which is really blowing up. It's really having a moment in culture when you have, you know, Bridgerton and Virgin River and and uh, and things like that. Romance book sales are up. If this could tap into that vast audience of men and women, but mostly women who don't have movies in the theater that they want to go see, if this could be a destination for them. If this could be bring your friends, bring three three women with you, that could be a very big hit. Could if if yeah, it, and you, if it is a big hit, it. could Channing Tatum spin off, and could we see another step up film? Because that's what I think audiences really want. I mean, we are at the point where there is nostalgia for step up to the streets, step up those types of films. I do think that. Kids were kids younger than us were raised on those type of films, and I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, I think I think there's a few factors really that that really could make Lost City a hit. I think one of them is Channing Tatum is going to have Dog the month before, and that's probably not going to be a hit. But I bet you that'll be a movie that people like and have some good Channing Tatum feelings about it, and. The week before Lost City comes out, on March 18th, Downton Abbey comes out. And I think what that could do is get a lot of women who hadn't been back to the theater regularly. That'll get them into the theater. And that'll get them seeing the trailer for Lost City the following week. And seeing the standee for Lost City. You know, they'll go to see Downton Abbey on March 18th. They'll walk out. They'll tape, uh, take a group photo in front of... Channing Tatum's Muscles, Nexus Sandy's Standee for Lost City. And then they'll say, you know what? Let's do this again next week. I I wish I had your guys' enthusiasm. I agree that it has an amazing window. Like, that is the perfect place for that film Mm -hmm. for many of the reasons you've said. But Sandra Bullock was just anointed the queen of Netflix, right? She was. Mm. Her last couple films, Bird Box and Unforgettable, is that the name of the new one? Um. The, the Netflix is just spewing on and on about how she is in the top 10 most watched movies of all time. So has her audience gone with her? Have they bridged over to Netflix? Will they bridge back to the box office? That would be my mm-hmm. question when looking at The Lost City. Does this feel like a relic now in theaters where where most of her fans are now over there in the pastures of Netflix and saying, yeah, but when is this on Paramount Plus so I can watch this thing? You know what I mean? So I think right. in in a way, Clayton, you're right. I think it'll be very telling to see how a film like this does. I mean, this is not Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, you know, uh, as much as I would love to believe that it is. It is not that film. Um, and and I thought that the what I've seen of it looks kind of cringy, actually. I hope that it is a hit because it would be nice to have some romance back at the box office. I do agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll definitely be a movie that's going to tell us a lot about the future of that type of movie, you know, because obviously this movie could be terrible and it deserves being a bomb. But if it's if it's a overall, you know, 
well-reviewed movie, then that movie bombing would be a bad sign going forward. Because otherwise, it does have all the elements. It has a big star. It's got an easy hook. Um, if that movie doesn't do, you know, 70 million domestic overall, then it might be really tough to see that type of movie made two years later. So I think that's a big one. So one I want to throw out there as that type of movie um, is something coming out in November. It is the currently, at least according to Wikipedia, untitled David O. Russell project from Fox, currently scheduled to come out November 4th. And the cast announced for this so far is Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Anya Taylor-Joy, Rami Malek, Chris Rock, uh, Mike Myers, Robert De Niro, <coughs> Taylor Swift. So I don't know actually what stage of production this is in, but I bring it up because other than Joy, you look at the last batch of David O. Russell movies, Silver Linings Playbook and The Fighter and American Hustle. Those are all $100 million plus domestic earners. You know, he is a hit maker as much as anyone's going to be a hit maker not making superhero movies. So this is one I, I know there's a lot of David O. Russell backlash in different ways, but overall, this is one that I feel like could be our return to form for adult movies. You know, that cast, that guy knows how to make populist adult movies. It's got the early fall release date. I feel like that could be the one. It's got Mike Myers making a big screen comeback. Is the secret title of this one Spanking the Monkey 2, though, is the question. Is that the... I mean, if this is <laughs> if this is a backdoor sequel to Spanking the Monkey, then the, <laughs> you know, the ceiling is unlimited. Um, I the, love my... the use of backdoor sequel when you're yeah. talking about Spanking the Monkey. Oh, moms everywhere well, will it... run from theaters in horror. Um, listen, I love I love David O. Russell. I think that is a dynamite cast. I just hope they move it up two weeks. Put it in October where there's nothing there because you're opening mm-hmm. against The Flash. You're opening against the untitled Bee Gees biopic, which should actually mm-hmm. do pretty well. Uh, Kenneth Branagh is directing that film. I wouldn't want to go up against those two films personally. And then the week after that, Black Panther 2 opens. You want to be caught in that? No, nobody wants to be caught right. in that tsunami. So get the hell Get the fuck out of there, uh, David O. Russell. Open, how about on uh, October 21st, you got a couple weekends where there's barely anything out there, and you're right after Halloween mm-hmm. ends. I mean, that's to me is a bit... October, I think, is a great launching point now for these older films. We've seen that in the in the, in the the most recent years, actually. And they can play into November. They don't have to open to November to be remembered for awards consideration anymore. You know, that used to be the play... You know, you open in November, you keep writing that crest of awards and nominations. Guess what? You open in late October or even early October and you're good. We're going to remember you for a couple months. You know, that would be my only play with that David O. Russell Spanking the Monkey 2 film. Yeah, I think that's I think October is a great place for Spanking 2. Well, here's something I want to throw out in terms of this release date shuffling. Right now, December 16th of next year. Scheduled to have from 20th Century Avatar 2 on the same weekend that Warner Brothers is putting out Aquaman 2. Those are both scheduled for December 16th. So maybe unless someone has something else, let's end with this. 
which of those two movies is going to blink because there is no way in hell that Avatar 2 and Aquaman 2 were opening the same weekend. So which is going to blink and where do you think the blinker is going to move to? I'm going... uh, James Cameron has earned his place. He doesn't move for anybody. He moves at slower than erosion when he's making a film, right? Mm -hmm. It's been, what, a decade or longer? He's not moving anywhere. And... And 20th Century and Disney have moved this thing so many times. As long as it's finished and actually ready for release, it'll stay there. And Aquaman, honestly, should go to December 2nd. It gives it a two-week buildup. I know it's not traditional to open a movie after Thanksgiving, but if you look at how the release calendar looks now, you have Black Panther 2 on November 11th, and then you really got you got these two films, Lyle Lyle, Crocodile, and She Said. Um, which is, a, I, I believe it's a romantic drama, something like that. Um, and then you move into Thanksgiving, which just has Creed Three. It has Spielberg's The Fablemans, which is his pet project. And then you have a Disney film called Strange World. Those aren't massive blockbusters. None, none of those on that schedule are. So basically, you have Black Panther on December 11th. You can open Aquaman 2 on December 2nd, and people are going to be hungry for another blockbuster. I know that's not a traditional weekend, to open a big film, but hey, guess what? It's a different time. You got two weekends then before Avatar 2 drops, plus you're going to get that holiday money coming in uh, through that corridor. That's the right move for Warner Brothers. They need to they need to jump on that soon, I think. But also, and, and you bring up such a great point with how it's not a normal weekend to open a film, but with the way people go see movies, they go see movies when the movie comes out now yeah. when we saw that with shang chi right now that it's a product driven market it is i'll go when it's there and i think you can have these weekends that don't normally do business do business absolutely it's more important to space yourself out from these other blockbusters than whatever the inconsequential date of the actual opening is absolutely at clayton mhm um all right, guys, so before we wrap it up, is there any other looking ahead to next year predictions that either of you want to make? I mean, I think it's going to be a crazy year next year. I think, like we've been saying, the the distribution model is going to keep changing. The windows are going to keep changing. I mean, we didn't see any giant... Uh, studio collapses or studio purchases this year, I guess, other than what Amazon bought MGM, you know, so does anyone think that there is a a big shoe that's going to drop next year? No, I mean, we had so much instability in the past two years. So many things are so different than they were before that I do think that there's going to be a level of you know, let's see how everything's working out. Let's see how these 45 yeah. win, 45 day windows work out. Let's see how this sell, you know, Sony selling stuff to streamers. I think we're going to see some things that are being implemented that are going to continue through 2022 uh, 20, uh, that, uh, you know, now that the p- pandemic looks like it may be in its waning uh, it, months, I think they're going to just be dealing with that and the things that have been set up through that. Yeah, I think they're, I think Clayton's right. There's going to be a lot more stability, I think, within the studios because they've just got through such a horrible time. 
that they're not looking to sell right away. They're just looking to get their feet back on the ground and um, find some more terra firma. And I think what 2021 was about is finding that terra firma, finding what works even during a pandemic, and then exploiting that, jumping on those trends and keeping that box office machine going. Um, the one thing I will say as far as innovations goes from a theatrical standpoint, remember what James Cameron did back in what? I don't even know when Avatar was released. It was like 10 years ago, though, right? But remember when that whole new wave of 3D swept the nation and everybody had mm -hmm. to have 3D because you can't watch Avatar without 3D, right? And it really did change the industry. People pumped all this money into 3D theaters from coast to coast because you had to have this. And Hollywood promised, we're going to deliver 3D films like you've never seen before. Now, now that didn't really happen, right? And that's okay, but we still have 3D films to this day, right? Because of Avatar. They're still releasing a lot of films in 3D. Now, what I predict is going to happen with Avatar 2, because Avatar 2 is set mostly underwater, you're going to get underwater theaters becoming a thing, or at least in the meantime, huh. screenings at aquariums across mm. the nation, maybe even, yeah. maybe even projected through the water to watch this film. Now, are you... or? Or a water screen. Are you kidding me? You know, this right, could be the right. next big thing. I'm just saying, I, if you're just asking for predictions, that's what I'm thinking. Jeff, yeah, I, or I love that. I love that because mm -hmm. that is the kind of thing that makes uh, it a, an event, right? It makes it a destination, which is what we need. Absolutely. Are, are you kidding? Are you telling me I could go scuba? I could get my scuba gear? Jump in a pool and watch Avatar 2. I am there. I don't even have my license, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend like I do. I'm gonna Photoshop a license, my scuba license, and I'm gonna go. Yeah, and then maybe that does finally lead to whatever studio it own, uh, owns the rights to it. I guess it may be Universal convincing Spielberg to let them make another Jaws movie. Because yes, they'll say Aquaman was so huge. We built all these. Uh, these um, movie theaters that have water tanks in them. <laughs> if we put out a Jaws movie this summer, it'll be gigantic. Oh, absolutely. And then you, Deep Blue Sea, you reboot that. Right. Obviously, what was that big one that came out um, that Warner Brothers had? They still haven't done a sequel to it about the giant shark. I can't even oh, remember the Meg. The name of it. Yeah, The Meg. The Meg 2. Oh, are you yes. kidding? People love that movie. Yes, yes. So, and then, of course, you know, because everything is looked at through nostalgic eyes and Costner is hot from Yellowstone, you get Waterworld, too. Oh, God, don't even tease me with that, Pat. You know how yeah. emotional I get when you talk about that. Yes, obviously, that would be that would lead up to what everybody really wants is the Waterworld sequel and not only the sequel, but we want a pantheon of films. We want at least a half dozen of them by... I, I'm going to give them a little leeway by 2040. I would like at least six more Waterworld. I mean, if Aquaman hits and if these movie theaters do the right thing and build some <laughs> uh, uh, tanks and, 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 you know, some, some water sprayers at people and really get that underwater immersive experience, it, it does open up an entire new line of movies. This is the new 3D. And the theaters will be so much easier to clean because they're already <laughs> wet all the time anyway. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and the chlorine, yes. I mean chlorine will just be a part of that. Yeah, the chlorine obviously disinfects everything. It kills everything. My god, we might have just solved all of the problems of theaters. They just have to wow. heavily invest in in water-based systems.
Yes. Mm. Well, I think this is great. Listen, humankind advanced when they figured out irrigation before, and I think when they figure out this new kind of irrigation, that's where box office is going to take the next step. I love it. Well, I'm glad we could do this, you guys. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me on as the uh, year-end wrap-up guest. It means a lot. Thank you for mentioning Waterworld 2. I'm probably going to cry myself probably to a little nap this afternoon because of that. Maybe mm-hmm. reread the original Waterworld script, which if you haven't, go find it out there. It's fascinating, all the all the different things that they had going. And and hopefully those things, those pieces of the scripts that were cut out will now uh, advance themselves into Waterworld 2. I love it. So, Jeff, tell everyone, tell all our wannabe old boys, wannabe old girls, wannabe old people, people where they could find your work across the Internet, across the world, where they could subscribe, where they should follow you. How, how do people get more of Jeff Bach? If you want real-time box office action from Jeff Bach, and I don't normally quote myself in the third person, go reach out to at ERC box office on the Twittersphere Twitter is where we drop all of our knowledge, box office, release date changes, and sometimes emotional outbursts of Waterworld sequels. Awesome. I, I, I started following you over, what, a year and a half, two years ago, and my knowledge of the box office increased, what no one thought would be possible, but it did. And I made a new friend who someday I'm going to play greased up volleyball with on the beach so yes it, it changed my life following erc oh man that that means the world mostly the greased up volleyball uh clayton you're gonna be there right like you've made the promise right oh absolutely i will be there i'll be pre-greased i'll be i'll be on the flight greased <laughs> yes. and uh we could even make it into you know listen uh a a, a a bo boys uh uh fan meetup Oh, At some point, be... if we have any fans yeah. in the L.A. area, we will school you, uh, completely destroy you at greased up volleyball. Yeah, not the score, but the grease- greasiness, right? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm very bad at volleyball, but I will be the greasiest. We will be the greasiest of all. Well, I'd love to see it. And guess what, people, we will bring the grease. Don't worry about bringing your own. We will grease. That is on the B.O. boys. They have a very mm-hmm. they have a lot of money saved up from uh you know just doing the podcast and you know with their sponsors and stuff like that so don't worry about that right can i say that most of our sponsors are greased based anyway so (laughs) we got a lot of greasy companies that have been looking for this opportunity so oh yeah they gotta they gotta they gotta pawn off some grease yeah damn um so thank you jeff so everyone follow jeff on twitter and of course everyone you could email the bo boys at the bo boys podcast at gmail.com let us know what some of your predictions are for next year, who you thought some of the winners and losers of the year were. And of course, let us know if you're planning to have a celebratory Top Gun Maverick greased up volleyball game next Memorial Day weekend. Email us, Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and I, I mean, Pat, I, I don't think there's anything left to say here except for until next time. We'll smell you.